Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Freddie, this is Jim. How can I help you? I know that most of the time you're giving information about people that are remodeling or redoing their house. Can you answer a question about someone that's about to build a house? Oh, sure. Okay. We have already uh, gotten an architect drawing and everything. Uh, We're planning on building a two-story home with a small cottage behind it for uh, the parents, grandparents or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, What we've looked and think about considering using a builder that has already built homes in the area. But my question is, do we have a right to ask for certain things like that we heard uh, recommendations of the roof and this and that and the other? What do we need to watch out for to make sure that we get the, what we're quality and not shortcuts? Great question. You know, a lot of times people think that uh, just because they're building new construction, everything is going to be done right and the city's going to come in and do all the inspections to make sure everything is done right and that's really not what they do they're coming in to make sure that minimum standards are kept but you know if you're going to have upgraded roofs and you're going to do different things like you're talking about you really ought to hire your own inspector to come in and take a look at things to to make sure it's being handled properly Uh, and, and the advantage of doing that is they can make more trips into the onto the job site typically than what the inspectors do and they're not looking to make sure minimum standards are met they're looking to make sure that it is actually being done the way it should be done uh, and according to the plans that you put together so do do we need to request in uh, before everything starts that we want a Pacific roof we want this we we expect that. What, what happens? Yes, ma'am. Because, yes, yeah. You, you would, because you're going to be hiring, the way it sounds, you're going to be hiring a custom builder. So all of that yeah. stuff's going to be done prior to you signing your final contract because he's got to know all that in order to put a price together for the home for you. Uh, you know, if you're going to buy just a, a single or a, uh, well, we'll use the roof as an example, regular three tab shingle versus say, putting on the F-Wave Revia shingle, there's a price difference on those materials. The builder has to know that up front. So, yeah, you would go through and make your list of all the things you want. That would become part of your blueprints that the contractors would bid off of. I, I don't know what to ask for, but can you give a list of things that, that you recommend that you that you would use if you were building your home? I can. You got a pen and, and paper? You put that on your website or something? You know, I never thought about putting on the website, but yes, I can do that. That would be helpful because I'm, I can't write fast enough for you to <laughs> telling it all here on the, on the sure. radio. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will put a list together. Give me uh, probably about a week to get it posted up on our website. And uh, I'm, I'll, I'll label it 
what would I do if I was building? Okay. And you'll be able Good. to find it there. In fact, I've got Brian here. Brian, can we just put that in our next newsletter? He says yes, so that's what we'll do with it. And cool. uh, it'll it'll be available for you then. It'll be on the on the weekly newsletter that yes, you ma'am. have on your. Yep. That is tremendous. That relieves me because I'm just, you know, you want like you say, you want something that's quality, and you end up with nothing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like absolutely. And and if you don't have it out there up front, it doesn't get done. You don't I mean, get it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I will Thank put that you. together Thank for you. you. That is tr- tremendous. I really appreciate that. No problem, Freddie. You have a great weekend. Right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. David, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yeah, thank you very much. appreciate you taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, give you a little bit of background. About four years ago, um, we decided to build a house on some land that we had in East Texas. Okay. Uh, and we built, you know, we built from the ground up. And I was I was specifically interested in keeping the expenses down. So uh, basically, what we did is we built a metal building on the outside with a wood frame. But I did have it spray foamed. I had all my exterior wall spray foamed as well as my roof joists spray foamed. And um, you know, I I went in with all new windows, of course, and I wanted to make sure the house was fairly energy efficient, fairly tight. Now I'm concerned that I may be suffering from sick house syndrome and I'm yep. not sure if there's you know everyone says well if it's East Texas it's humid and there's allergens and pollen and stuff like that but um, then I then when I see the symptoms of sick house syndrome it looks like you know what we've been kind of going through is there a test that we can do or is there a resolution that we can do to determine if it's if we do have that problem and what we what do we do about it or you know you know where I'm at where I'm at yeah so. yeah well okay. there 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 is a test that can be done uh, basically it's a mold test so mm-hmm. you, you get the the petri dishes and you know go through the process and then send them off to be tested uh, how do you the, I mean where do you where do you get the where you, do you send them to and where do you get the that's they actually that. have kits available at the box stores. Hmm, okay. And and it has instructions on where to send it to. Okay. Uh, well, our our, uh, our humidity out there stays um, at times between fifty five and sixty percent. And uh, not, now I know that that's that seems like it's high. Uh, that's not too high because if you get too low, it becomes uncomfortable as well. Right. Uh, right. Too high is uncomfortable. Forty five to to fifty five. You know. Getting in those ranges, that that's that's good. That, mm-hmm. That's a comfortable range. I wouldn't want to go much higher than what you're talking about, but but you're in a good range there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, David, I'm going to put you on hold for the, the news break here because there's a couple other things I want to cover with you on this real quick that uh, is going to take me a minute. So if you don't mind, hold on. And then, Charlie, I'll get to you right after we finish with David. All right, let's go head out to Cami again and Brenham. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. We are on a pier and beam. We are in a farmhouse in a pier and beam, and the floor is constantly cold. We're about we have about an 18 to 24 inch um, area underneath the floor. Is there anything we can do to insulate that floor and keep it from being so cold? 
Yes. There, there is only one thing that I recommend, and that's a closed cell foam insulation sprayed on the bottom. And and, and got to be very specific that you use a closed cell because if you use open cell, the humidity levels that build up sometimes under those crawl space homes, it will actually soak into that foam and cause wood decay just like it would if you put fiberglass or any other type of insulation. But the closed cell... Uh, gives it a skin and doesn't allow it to moisture or to absorb moisture so it, it stays dry and it'll give you insulating properties and protect the wood at the same time. That's good. We have been warned that you wouldn't spray it where pipes are or where electricity is because you can't get to that if there's ever a problem. Is that the case? Yes and no. I mean... Uh, if you think about when they build a new house and they're using the spray foam in the walls, all the wires, all the pipes, everything is encapsulated. And, you know, if something ever does go bad, they just have to dig the foam out and, and repair it. And then the foam can actually be patched back in again. So if it was mine, I wouldn't worry twice about that. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's go to Lake Conroe. Bob, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Jim. Hey, I got uh, a comment and a question. The gentleman who called in about the uh, what does he need to do about living on an inward lake, is there any maintenance? I would say yes, two reasons, dirt daubers and spiders. (laughs) That doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like fighting the spiders is ridiculous. I should have went the spider be gone like my neighbors did, and I'm, you know, 100 feet off the water, and I get covered with spiders all the time. Anyway, my uh, my question is, I'm getting ready to move away from the lake and, and move out into the city of Conroe. The, uh, the city engineering department said I need to put my elevation around five feet, so I've got to raise it up about five foot before I put my slab on there. So chances are I'm going to have to fear that. Would it be best just to put the house on piers or go ahead and put the pad in and then pier it and then put my gray beam sitting on top of the piers? Or would it just pier it, pier it and then put the house on top of the piers without adding all the 300 yards of dirt? Well, you, you actually have one other choice, and that's to put the slab in where it's at and then build suspended floors inside. Uh you know, so that you basically have a crawl space underneath with a concrete floor. Okay. So that is that is that is another option, and then you, then you don't have to mess with all the other stuff. Uh, you know, as far as what you need to do with the elevations, that's going to depend on the city because a lot of times, if you're in an area where they're requiring you to take up to such an elevation like that, they're not going to let you bring dirt in to begin with. Huh. Okay, so just basically pier it and set the house on the piers. Well, what about the garage? I don't want the garage to flood, so I would need to raise it up. So, I mean, I would put dirt down and then pier that, right? Uh, if they'll let you. Hmm. Okay. Uh, oh. If not, I'm actually doing a, we did a house raising on a, a place, and in order to get, keep them access into the garage, I'm building for all practical purposes, a bridge up into their garage. So we've come off the, off the ground, got steel beams that 
uh, with steel channel on top of it that the concrete goes into, and that's the ramp going up into the garage. So it's suspended with open space underneath. Yeah. With all these floodplains and all this stuff, FEMA has come in and they're they're dictating you do not fill these lots in because that's just pushing the water off onto somebody else. Huh. Okay. All right, well, I'll get with the city then because I didn't know if it was more economical to put the pad in and then drill piers or just put the piers in or, like you said, pour a foundation and then build the house five foot off of the foundation and put the house and get a five foot cross space with concrete underneath. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Give you a heck of a storage space. Yeah, I see that. All right. Well, thanks a lot. You bet. Take care. And, and again, you got to check out the cities because that's who's going to dictate what can be done. I was talking with Robert, and Robert, you're asking about whether it'd be cost effective to put ridge fence in or not. You have soffit fence, and right now you have air hawks. So, yes, sir. Uh, how old is your roof? It's 19 years old then I would not spend the money to put ridge fence in at this time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I say I say that because you are probably five years or so away from having to replace that roof at That's best. That's correct. And at that time, you can have them installed, and it'll be a whole lot more cost-effective for you. Okay. Well, and, and, and my, you know, the one thing I was concerned about is I didn't, I didn't know, I, I haven't talked to any roofing companies, so I didn't know what it cost to do something like that. You know, if I didn't, I didn't know if it was two or $300 or a thousand or, or what. So, uh, and, well, it, and my it, attic it, just burns up in, in the summer. It's just really hot. Up oh there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, but you know, if they're doing it when they're doing a roof, then you're, talking a few hundred dollars but if they got to make a special trip out to do it then yeah you're going to be over a thousand dollars because you got remember they got to load the truck come out do the work okay everybody everybody's pay, paid for it and it just does it, it would it would eat it up way more than you would save on your energy bill gotcha okay well Mr. Sutton, thank you very, very when you much. put it when you put a new roof on i would definitely switch over to the ridge vents if, yeah. as long as you have plenty of ridge to do it. Right, and I and I do. So that I will definitely do that whenever we get. I had the roof inspected about a year ago, and they said it's fine. Don't replace it. Um, but you're right. Within the next four or five years, I'm going to have to. So, uh, hey, we're, we're only one summer away from another storm that will take it off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Mr. Dunn, thank you for your time and help. All right. Thank you, sir. You're looking at getting a new deck top put on. Are the the framework and stuff still good, or are they going to have to rebuild? No, everything? it's all rotted out, Jim. It'll it'll have to all be be redone. Okay. The, and, the, the framing and all. We have that large tree, that 40 year old oak, and yeah. um, pull out front. And the one contractor was just worried about moisture for some reason. I guess due to the shade and the pool. Yeah. What what is he worried about the moisture getting on? Uh, he was saying, uh, talking about the uh, underside, the underside of the composite deck decking um, and building up of mold. I didn't know. I thought you'd always recommended this this new composite as a replacement. I, I don't. Well, I, I personally still use wood myself on my decks, but I have zero problem with the composites. I've never heard of anybody having a mold issue 
under those composite decks. Uh, it, it's like anything else. If you keep it ventilated, it's going to be just fine. Uh, and they do last long. You don't have to worry about splinters in your feet and stuff. The only thing you have to be aware of when you use composite decking versus regular wood decking, you got to have your joist closer together because it, it does not have the structural strength to span like lumber does. Okay. Other than that, it's it's actually a great product. You'll spend a lot more on it than wood, but uh, it it holds up very well. With the uh, do you still leave a do they leave a little space in between each one for breathability? Yes, absolutely. Or do you butt them up to each other? Well, you can do it either way. I I personally recommend leaving a space all the time because when you butt them up against each other, the edges have a little curve to them. And when you butt them up, that creates a little trough down the middle. So all the, like right now, the pollen gets stuck in there, dirt gets stuck in there, leaves get stuck in there, where if you leave a little space when you sweep, it, it allows stuff to fall through it. And then you say you still use wood personally. What, what is, uh, why do you prefer that? I just like the looks of wood. Got it. And if we did go with the cedar or the wood, uh, how often would it have to be stained and treated, sealed? Well, uh, if you go with wood, I would not put cedar as the the wood that you walk on because it has way too many splinters and stuff. Uh, you're typically okay. going to be looking at, they make a regular treated uh, deck board that's got rounded corners and stuff like that. Uh, and as far as how often do you have to seal it and stain it, you know, if you use a good stain and sealer like Ready Seal, like the one I talk about all the time, you're only looking at having to do that like every five years. Okay. Perfect, Jim. That answers our question. Thank you so much. You bet. And, you know, again, I, I, I have nothing wrong with synthetic. My, I have a, a pond at my house and my boat dock has synthetic boards on it. It's right out over the water all the time, exposed, and, uh, you know, it's going to hold up better than putting lumber you know, out there. And the framework is all aluminum, so I don't have to worry about anything rotting. But the deck up by my house, I got lumber boards on it because I want that to have a finish on it. And, like, using the ready seal on it gives it a nice, clean finish. In fact, I'm getting ready to rebuild that deck because I want to make it bigger. And it will be done with wood, and it will have ready seal on it. This comes from Merle in Mansfield. Hi Jim, I have a completely tiled walk-in shower. My problem is the floor and grout never dries after a shower. It will stay wet for at least 24 hour period before my next shower and if I don't use a shower it'll stay wet for days. The tile floor never completely dries. What could possibly be the problem. Thanks, Merle. Oh, Merle, you're not going to like this one, but given the description that you just gave me, I will bet you money they didn't do the sub floor underneath the tile properly. On a tile floor, it's usually a mud bed underneath, and that's multiple layers. You've got the, the mud that you've putting a slope towards the drain then you put a rubber mat and you put more mud on top of that 
And after you've got that all finished, you put your tile on top. Well, on that first layer, if they didn't slope it towards the drain, if they made it flat, guess what it does? Yep, it holds water. And that's exactly what it sounds like you've got going on, is it's just plain holding the water there and not letting it drain out. Uh, and the big key on that was the fact that it's taking multiple days and not drying out. If it was sloping where the water would all run off, because the grout lines in the tile are not watertight. The moisture goes through and it gets onto that subfloor stuff, and that's where it's sitting and holding the water. So the fix is more than likely going to be you're going to have to chip all that out and redo the floor. Bill, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hi there. Uh, I'm moving from the Coastal Bend area up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area with a new job. And okay. I'm just, uh, the house that I'm getting ready to purchase, we're trying to close on. And its air conditioning unit is about 10 years old. And so I know that down in the Coastal Bend, the air conditioner would already be at being ready to replace. So with the, looking at the new one, it looks like it needs to be replaced in probably a year or two. But my, I guess, biggest information that I'm trying to get right now is how important is humidity control in the Dallas-Fort Worth area compared to where I'm at down in the coastal bend? It's just as important. Believe it or not, we have extremely high humidity days in the Dallas area as well. Not as high as what you're used to in the coastal bend area. I mean, you're used to the 90 and 95% humidity days and sometimes 100% without rain even. In Dallas, uh, you know, in the summer months, a lot of times the humidity will drop down in the 70s percent range. Okay. But during, during certain times of the year, we're in the 80, 85% and it is every bit as important to control that humidity because typically in your house you're trying to get it down between a range would be between 45 and 60 percent right and so, okay, so i mean you're in, and any air conditioning system you put in if it's sized properly for heating and cooling it will take care of the dehumidification as well okay that is good to know. Now, um, don't. one thing I will tell you, don't get in too big a rush to change out that AC system. Uh, a 10-year-old system, you know, for uh, depending on the brand and stuff, that, that system may have another 10 years to go. Okay. So keep it maintained. And granted, the newer systems are a lot more energy efficient. But let's look at the electric bill, how, it, how it's doing. Let's take a look at the system, what kind of uh, maintenance has been done. You know, how much power is it drawing when the capacitors are kicking in and stuff like that. Then you can make a decision down the road whether you want to replace it or not. Uh, but just because it's 10 years old, I, I can tell you when I replaced the one at my house, when I bought it, it was 32 years old. Okay. That's great to know information because just a whole lot of upfront expenses and that's something that's nice that I can maybe wait on for a couple of more years. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's not, most air conditioners 
you are having to be looked at replacement 12 to 15 years old. So okay. you're, you're still doing fine. Awesome. Thank you so much for the information, sir. You bet, Bill. Take care. Again, 214-787-1080. And again, the, the biggest reason a lot of times on a newer air conditioner like that that you replace it is energy efficiency, not that it's breaking down. I mean, uh, if you've got a 10-year-old system, it was probably put in as an R, I mean, as an R, uh, with a SEER rating of 13 or higher already, 13, 14. Uh, you maybe got a 16. I doubt if you went higher than that, though, if it's a 10-year-old system. And, you know, today the minimum SEER rating is 14. So if, you're not going to see a, a huge difference in that unless you're going to be looking at one of the 18 or 21 SEER, then you would see a huge difference. So let's not get in, in too big a rush. Gary, how can I help you? Thank you, Jim. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on where I might purchase a uh, commercial quality shop vacuum. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you just using it for regular shop stuff? Yeah, just, yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, drywall, dust, and, you know, stuff. I, I, I want a better quality. I, I, I looked at the uh, the big box stores that I went to, to a place, and you know, I want a, a better quality vacuum than what I can find at, at those stores. Okay. I, I will tell you, for a regular shop vac, I typically buy Rigid, which is available at Home Depot but the brand that I get is rigid. But if you're gonna be doing sheetrock dust, you're wanting something that's gonna handle that fine dust. And Hilti makes a shop vac that is used with jackhammers for sucking up the dust when you're jackhammering inside. And that particular machine has a special filter inside along with a tapper that, uh, a vibrator so it shakes the dust off so it doesn't clog the system up and on the inside of the uh, the holding tank yeah I'm, look, I'm looking for the uh, HEPA, HEPA filter there you go yeah call Hilti is, uh, is H how you spell it H-I-L-T-I oh H-I-L-T-I yeah and it's it's all industrial equipment I'm gonna tell you that that vacuum is, is rather pricey but it's going to do exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind spend five or six hundred dollars, you know, something like that. Good, because that's the price range you're in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you know where I, uh, who, who might carry those? Uh, you have to deal with Hilti Direct. Okay. Okay. Uh, but they they do have locations around. They're in the in the Dallas area. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. That's what I want to know. I, I appreciate it very much, Jim. You bet. Take care, Gary. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.